This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. All right, guys, episode 33 of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. We are on the phone with Michael Pepper out of Menden, Louisiana, Webster Parish. Um, finally getting uh, some more North Louisiana content for you. So, Michael, thanks for joining me and Locke today, man. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having me. You know, this episode we're going to talk a little bit about property management, um, Michael and his wife Rachel's ability to consistently stay on impressive deer and um, herd management, kind of going into depth on how they manage their properties and a couple of things that they do that you can take away and and do to kind of increase your success as well. But before we get started, Locke, why don't you tell them who this episode's from? Yep, this one is sponsored by Relentless Boats, custom boat builder down in Thibodeau. And one of the things that's going on right now with Relentless, they're starting to roll out some of their stock model boats. They'll have a 1748, an 1852, and an 1854 center console going to some dealers. So you can check them out at RelentlessBoatsLA.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram and check out some of those uh, stock rigs. They're going to be affordable, and the dealer list will be up on the website soon. So check them out, Louisiana Made relentless boats thanks Locke. let's uh let's get on to, to michael so michael you are uh, what how far away did you have to drive to go get decent cell service for 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 this buddy actually we have horrible in our house i had to walk outside and get in the truck in the driveway so i'm good right now gotcha yeah it's not uncommon especially like later in the season when we're talking to people while they're spending a week at the camp or something it's not uncommon for people to have to drive quote unquote into town as they say to to do an episode with us so um i appreciate you doing that 
So um, let's let's start out, man. Let's start with the simple stuff. So how long have you been bow hunting? I have been bow hunting for roughly 20 years. I started whenever I went to work for Madden, uh, the company I'm working for now. I've been with them for uh, a little over 21 years. And I ended up, uh, started completely solely bow hunting whenever I went to work with them and got uh, involved with with John in it. And he kind of coached me. I had a lot of questions about bow hunting from him and him and a couple other guys that worked there that strictly bow hunted kind of kind of pushed me along and helped me along. Nice. So, uh, so you're. I didn't realize you were at um, Madden Contracting. Is, is, cons- yes, sir. Yeah, uh, Madden. Me and Levi are real good buddies. Yeah, got you. Do y'all hunt on the same place, or y'all have separate properties? No, sir. We we have separate properties. I actually lease a lot of land that Madden owns. Uh, not all of it that I lease. Uh, they don't own all of it that I lease, but I lease a lot that they own, and they own. Uh, a pretty good chunk of land over in uh, Tinsall Parish, and that's where they generally and primarily hunt. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. I didn't realize that you you and Levi work together. Levi's a great guy, man. He's a really yes, great sir. Guy. We've had long discussions over deer. <laughs> yeah, and then well, uh, so now that you say that, you got me in my head. I'm kind of tying everybody I know from that that area. You've got um, Aaron, uh, Aaron Ramsey, right? Aaron Madden Ramsey who um, yes, she works there as well. And then um, they own a Ramsey Southern Outfitters, her and her husband. Right. Um, and uh, and then think, are you familiar with the guy that owns um, 1928 Heritage Company? Yes, um, sir. That's actually one of Levi's cousins married Nick. And that's Nick Routon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Small world over there, man. So as soon as you yes, said sir. that, as soon, as soon as you said that, uh, I was like, oh, I, yeah, I think I, I know a couple people you might know. All right. Well, um, so you've been doing that for for twenty twenty years. You've been bow hunting for twenty years. Now, is that something that you do exclusively throughout the season, or do you ever pick up a rifle at all? No, sir. I do not pick up a rifle. Not uh, the the only thing that we use uh, rifles, shotguns, whatnot for, or um, pigs just yeah. to try to keep the big numbers in control. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um, you know, the, the, the big thing this year that uh, kind of prompted us to want to have you on was, um, your wife, Rachel is just a deer slayer, man. She, yeah. she is a deer eliminator, I guess. <laughs> Um, and I mean, y'all have, and you know, the best part about it is, is she's a very petite woman. So when she kills a big deer, it just looks even bigger. Like, you know what I mean? It looks like it's 350 pounds, you know? And, uh, and so I, I just, man, there's very few things that make me happier than see, seeing ladies be. Uh, successful in the woods and then diligent because I remember y'all killed, um, I, I can't remember what y'all called him or, or whatever, but y'all killed a deer. If I'm not um, wrong, I think it was like November 6th of last year. Y'all killed, a, or she killed, a, um, it was a really big eight or a 10 point. I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. But um, y'all had hunted it for like almost 30 days straight, if I remember correctly. Right. She, uh, she sat in the stand, and I wish she could be right here with me. She just... She, it's more than just a phone call. She can't hear anybody 
she don't want anybody here in her talking suit, so she didn't come out here with me. But uh, sure. she hunted that deer for 28 days straight. God And bless. I mean, no break. Uh, if, it, if there was a sprinkle, she was there. Uh, so it was absolutely no break. She, it, it's hard for her to, to stand the cold, and she braved a few cold days to stay out there and just – and. She was like the name of the boat company. She was relentless on that deer. She wanted that deer. That's and we awesome. named him Steve, she named him Stephen Seagal because he was hard to kill. So <laughs> it, it, That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love I mean, we we need to do an episode on deer names. Yeah, we absolutely do. That like and I don't even care where they come from. Names and backstories. I don't yeah, I don't even care if they're from Louisiana or not. I just want to hear I just want to hear why people name deer what, and 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 <laughs> I, uh, that that I don't know. That's awesome, Steven Seagal. That's that is it. I remember that now. You know, I I actually yeah. like. I have this thing. This is this is this is getting inside the, uh, getting inside the personal mind here. But I, like, I wish I was better at naming deer. Every year I name a deer, and I'm like, that's terrible. Like, that's not creative <laughs> at all. This is a stupid name. Like, like, like I had a deer and I never killed him and I had so much history with him. And, and I, I literally thought about this for three years of hunting this deer. And I mean, I called him the crooked brow tine eight point cause he had a crooked brow tine. And I'm, and all the time I thought to myself, every time I check cameras or whatnot, I think it's gotta be a better name. And I just, you just couldn't, I don't know. couldn't come I up just with couldn't. it. Huh? I just couldn't. I could myself a fairly creative person. That's awesome. No. <laughs> you know, talking about Rachel some more, Michael, I mean, did she have a name for the one that she killed uh, on opening day? Yes, sir. We called him Lefty, uh, and that was, once again, her name. She, uh, We first started getting pictures of him when he was two years old. In fact, I videotaped him and another book and didn't know it at the time, um, but him and another book at two years old fighting in the food plot. And I posted it to Facebook, and and later on, we ended up getting pictures of him and realized his uh, right eye was poked out. Mm. So she started. She named him Lefty because uh, he could, fittingly, he could only see out of his left eye. And uh, I told her, I said, "That's the that's the deer I videotaped him." I don't remember the name of the other deer, or even if we named him, but um, but that's how he got his name. That's cool, man. So. So tell us, tell us that story. How did that play out? Because if if anybody is listening and doesn't know what we talked about, um, we shared a picture on. Well, I guess we shared it on Wednesday because it happened on Tuesday on opening day. Um, yeah. Of, of your wife Rachel, and a very impressive. What did he ended up? What did he end up scoring? Like one forty. I went back and scored him the next day, and it was one forty on the dot. No change. Nice. Okay, so one hundred and forty inch. Um, I can't remember how many points he had, man. What, 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 how big was nine he? Point. 100, he was a nine point. 140 inch nine point, um, five and a half years old, and like you said, y'all have been watching him since he was since he was two. Um, yes. So kind of go through the weeks leading up to that, and y'all the way that y'all uh, kind of approached trying to kill him on opening day. Well, it. It kind of took a turn for the better, something we wasn't expecting. This deer, in years before, previous years, he had uh, he would show up 
just slightly before October 1st or right there around opening weekend. And, um, and we would just watch him all, all year. This year, we went in and just wanted to turn a feeder on at that, at that particular stand and let it run and just see what kind of pictures we could get of deer showing up. Wanted to get pictures of them in velvet because, uh, that's, we like to see what's there, watch them grow best we can. And, um, this deer, when we turn that feeder on, it was maybe four or five days, if I'm not mistaken. And that deer was there at that feeder licking corn off the state spinner. And, uh, I had, uh, I think our battery went dead just that fast in the, in the feeder. Mm-hmm. So, he would he would eat corn off the spinner off the ground. The feeder didn't bother him at all. But he was there early, and we were kind of surprised. Uh, we uh, we let the feeder throw, let him eat there until about the second weekend in September. First or second weekend in September, Rachel wanted to start putting it on the ground and try to get him around there closer to the stand and see if he would stick around for daylight. And it all worked perfect. Uh, he moved around there. He was traveling with another eight point. Um, we moved. He moved around there. Was feeling comfortable. It, it's kind of a short story, but uh, we we put tra- we put cameras up on trails leading into that feeder and corn set up, stand set up, and trying to cut him off, see which way he was coming from. And Rachel. Rachel kind of needs the uh, confidence of the corn and the rice bran being in front of her to make sure that that deer can get up there and get broadside. She has plenty of choices to uh, time to shoot. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it she uh, she prefers to hunt like that versus trails and whatnot. But uh, we had he bedded up. I bet you he wouldn't bed in 125 yards from where he was coming and eating uh, from the stand. And he would, something I did forget to say was uh, when we would come in, top the feeder off, check the cameras, that deer was bedding so close that he would watch us drive by on the golf cart. We'd go in there, leave. Within anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, he was in there. And, I mean, <laughs> you can't hear a golf cart. You know, uh, they may can, but I can't. But the, he was bedding up close enough that he came in within 30 minutes to an hour after us feeding. Mm-hmm. And it was typically like that. And the day before she killed him, she went in there and checked the cameras. And he didn't move till 6 o'clock, so she got pretty nervous. Um, fortunately, whenever she went back in there to hunt him, he came in at, I think, 5.15 is when she t- texted me. Or no, I'm sorry, she called me. I had just got home from work, sat down in my recliner. She called me. I just smoked left, uh, lefty. Nice. It, it was pretty exciting. That's awesome. So um, you're saying that, you know, you've got eyes on you when you're entering your property. Um, how many acres were y'all hunting right there? We were hunting a tight property that uh, I believe is no more than about 100 acres of land, huntable land. There's some water on the property, uh, uh, bar pits and whatnot that, uh, that just, you just can't hunt. It's, it might be good for duck hunting some, uh, in the years past. Now it's full of Salvania, but 
we probably have about a hundred huntable acres there. Gotcha. So when if you knew you were being watched on the golf cart, how did y'all get in there to hunt him? Did y'all go in there and and well, she you were at work, so she went in by herself. So did she sneak in on foot from a different angle, or, or did she go in by golf cart and and then not leave? Well, what we did is uh, there, you may want to touch on this later, but it's an important part of our deer hunting is. Uh, against what a lot of people say we we believe in letting the deer no matter how old pattern us because if you go into an area uh, or when we go into an area um and there's typically eyes on you all the time and uh we like to let our deer kind of pattern us and see what we're doing and she was come we have a road on the property that's kind of horseshoe shape it goes in one side of the hundred acres and comes out the other end of the hundred acres and we would go in one side on the east side and go in and feed and and handle our business work on stands whatever we need to and when she got ready to go in there and hunt she came around on the west side and parked the golf cart about three or four hundred yards away and then walked to the stand she was trying to keep it it was hot she was trying to keep it keep her perspiration down and fish could and just uh not let him see her yeah so um so did she come in her normal route or she came in you say you got a horseshoe route did she go in her normal way or she yes sir okay so gotcha. no so she, sir she came in the other way gotcha, uh, gotcha we gotcha. generally come in on the east side she came around on the west side to, to go into the stand hunting that day Gotcha. Now, if I remember correctly, I think opening day, it wasn't even a week ago now, I think opening day was like a south-southeast wind. Um, yes. Is, is that, so is that, is that what y'all needed to, to pull that off with him? Well, uh, somewhat. Uh, we, we're really, really big on scent control, and we have a kind of a system worked out on what we do from the time we take a shower to the time we climb up in the stand mm-hmm. and um we we don't just completely ignore the wind but it's to the point where now to where we feel so comfortable in what we're doing that we we take chances and i think that's part of our success is it uh, the reason for our success is we do take chances and absolutely every deer she caught saw that evening was at one point or time or another in time downwind to her including Leslie he came out and walked downwind to her hmm. and and walked walked up in the food pot so what I mean can you tell us uh what your uh, scent control system is yeah um we're we're not sponsored by anybody or anything like that so I don't want to throw anybody off but we we use the uh, hunter specialties. I can't remember the name of it actually. Yeah, that's it. Um, mm-hmm. Is that it? The hunter specialties. Yeah. Okay. We use the hunter specialties, and we we'll come in. We'll take a bath uh, in the hunter specialty soap. Come outside, spray down, get in the trucks. Our trucks are non scent. We take, we don't have any air fresheners in our hunting trucks. Um, 
July, she takes air fresheners out of the house. And, of course, you can't get it all completely out, but uh, she takes it out, takes them out in about July and tries to air the house out. So uh, She washes our towels that we dry off with and all. She washes our work clothes, uh, our everyday clothes and all. Uh, washes our hunting clothes in the hunter specialties sent away. That's what it is in the sent away. Mm-hmm. Um, when we after we take a shower, we'll come out here, spray down, get in the trucks, go go to our hunting spots, get out of the truck, spray down. We may be on the golf cart, we may walk. Uh, if we're on the golf cart, we'll take a bottle with us, spray down before we get in the sand. Um, we just take every route to avoid any kind of sin. Yeah. Now, when you say y'all are y'all are washing clothes in all, is that a, a scent free all, or is that just a typical regular? Um, no, fragrance? sir. It's a scent free all. It's it's the fragrant free all. A L L. Gotcha. So, okay, th- this is Locke and I were talking about this the other day because I don't. I'm not as extreme as y'all are with like you know scent. Well. I don't change the environment in my house for scent control. Um, right. I it makes sense that you would do that. I guess it depends on how how many uh, scented candles and stuff that you have. Um, but yep. but um, I will say that the one quirky thing that I do, I guess, regardless of if I plan on hunting that day or not, is I remove all shampoo and soaps out of the, out of the shower. And I only bathe with, um, scent free stuff, uh, shampoo right. and, and soap and whatnot. And then I also only use, um, what's it? Is it Mitchum? It's like old man yeah. deodorant. Mitchum. Mitchum. Yep. Yeah. Mitchum it, gel. Arm and hammer makes it too. Yeah. Mitchum gel scent free deodorant i got tired of that uh, like uh that hunting version of white deodorant that just clumps up right. and it's, it's just garbage doesn't work that great so i i, I got you know mitchum is like a green and clear bottle or canister or whatever and um i use that all season so are y'all doing are y'all doing that also like if, if it's tuesday and you got work what do you like, weird question to ask another guy? But what are you showering <laughs> with? <laughs> you know. So are are you showering with regular shampoo on a regular workday Tuesday? Or are you are you still sticking with the scent free stuff? No, uh, absolutely. From two weeks before hunting season starts, um, I strictly go to Hunter Specialties. The the scent away soap in the, in the shower i used the sent away deodorant uh, i've tried the arm and hammer but it hadn't it doesn't really work well for me uh but the sent away we, and and this is a long process that rachel has um has done she's responsible for all of this because we used to use uh another product they quit making that product so she's been looking she looked all hunting season all the off season trying to find something that truly worked or that we believe truly worked and and the centaway is what she found but we use the deodorant both of us mm-hmm. use the centaway deodorant every day going to work uh of course i don't spray down to, to go get on a track over or nothing so I, I get 
I get sin on me like that, but I'm trying to keep anything in direct contact with my skin, um, you know, just where it doesn't get in my pores, get on the ha- on my, on the hair on my body, or, or anything like that, because because your hair soaks up a lot of smell. Yeah, absolutely. I was listening to uh, the Nine Finger Chronicle podcast, uh, and I, what's his name? Dan. Dan something. something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he had a guest on there, and I don't remember who the guest was. It wasn't anybody that that you would know, but he mentioned, and I found this to be interesting. He was talking about soaps and shower routines and hunting season. Um, that Dove Dove makes a unscented body soap, but you know Dove is known for its moisturizing. Um whatever dove does different from other soaps apparently is the leader in that but this guy mentioned he used that instead of other products because his theory was he wanted his skin to be as 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 moisturized as possible because of obvious you know the the micro flaking and stuff that you just naturally do Hmm. and so i I just i I never thought about that and because they were talking about the different brands of of scent-free soap and, and all that kind of stuff. And just talked about how some of that stuff, while it's got the scent away properties to it, it's more harsh on your skin. And I, and I guess everybody's different how they react to different products too. But anyway, I, I just found that interesting. And I actually thought I'm, I'm going to look into that myself because it makes a lot of sense. If you can keep your skin highly moisturized, there's less flaking. And, you know, I guess in theory, there's less to come off of you even even microparticles yeah this this is just uh just a couple of dudes talking about skin moisturizer skin moisturizer <laughs> and how they shower you know it's not getting weird no this is not the weird. louisiana boner podcast yeah. brought to you by relentless Bro- yeah. <laughs> brought to you by tampax yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um anyway uh so i mean y'all are pretty intense about this stuff michael obviously y'all are um uh, I think there's probably a lot of people listening that's like, man, that's that's pretty extreme. But, uh, you know, if I had to break into y'all's heads for a second, when you have the trail of success killing mature deer as frequently as y'all have, how could you not stay on that system? You know what I mean? Like, how, how could... Right. It's, uh, it'd, be, it'd be tough to, to cut any corners if it's working. Go along with what uh, Locke said just a second ago about oh. how different soaps di- affect different people different ways. Uh, the the soap we use doesn't dry my skin out or anything like that. Right, and but Rachel, it can dry her skin out. Uh, some of the products that we use has dried her skin out, but there's different scent-free lotions out there that she has gone and got, and she uses those quite frequently. But but that's something that uh, it, it just kind of goes along with what Locke was talking about. He heard on the podcast with the the Dove moisturizing soap. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's a, that's 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 why we love interviewing people is just learning different ways that people yeah. enter the woods, you know, and how they get prepared. I for think it. that I think all that just you know, I mean, there's there's so I think, and this is my opinion, I guess. There's two things that that come to mind when we're talking scent controller we're talking specifically about a deer smelling us and one is the deer smells us 
and, and all of our glory there in his presence. And then also the deer smells where we've been, whether that's a deer that's approaching and smells where you walked in or a deer that smells where you've been in there hanging a stand or checking a camera or whatever. So, you know, in the, in the world of this whole soap thing, um, I think all of this stuff plays more into the idea that you obviously don't want to touch things. You don't want to um, give yourself the opportunity to exfoliate on your surroundings. And uh, I mean, that's what this comes to is because and it's inevitable. You're, you're constantly exfoliating. You're constantly, I don't want to say shedding our skin because we don't shed our skin, but um, you got to watch for that. You know, if you, uh, if you have dry skin and uh, you should pay attention to that because uh, deer, the deer are going to pick up on that. They're going to smell where you leave that. Yeah. in the woods so i don't know right. I, I think it's one of these things i, I say all that is just a kind of a long diatribe that i just gave that really just circles back around to that i i feel like that's probably something that people don't pay a lot of attention to they don't even think about the fact that they got dry skin or some product that they are using is giving them dry skin and it just never even crosses their mind you know how that might yeah. be affecting them well i i i remember uh yeah, this is a long fact. I, this one's been in my head for a long, long time, and haven't been, have been able to break it out. But I remember, I want to say like seventh grade science class or something. We learned that over the span of an average lifetime of a human, they they shed forty pounds of um, of skin cells, skin molecules, yeah. skin cells, you know, um, and uh, or dander, I guess, if you will. Um, but 40 pounds my god that's a lot you know and so yeah. if you're just just if that's just you know a little bit of day well, but it's also the winter time too the majority of our hunting is done in colder weather drier weather and dry skin is you know for somebody that doesn't deal with it you know as a normal thing they're more likely to deal with it when the air is drier it's windier all of these things are happening to us that are making our skin more dry than it normally would be yeah you know so i don't That's know it's just uh i think it's something that I, th I found it really interesting that this person on this podcast brought this up because it is completely something that i never thought about but you know i have to believe that you don't see it in the marketing of our scent products Nobody markets, or they may start doing it if people start talking. After this episode, yeah. I mean, they don't. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it's still losing a boner podcast. After they, after they, after they listen, all. after they listen to, to this and are informed. You yeah. know, I, mean, I I just don't believe that we're we're dealing with products that are geared for a purpose, and that purpose is not moisturizing your skin, right? Yeah, so make you not uh, smell like anything. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm sure it's probably not high on the um whatever. Whatever spectrum it is that would, uh, you know, quality of soap or whatever additives they add to soap that makes it more effective in that regard. I just don't think that's a big part of what 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 we're dealing with when, when it comes to most hunting products. Well, they'll they'll eventually run out of uh, out of marketing points, um, kind of like bows, and they'll start talking about, you know, how dead in the hand the soap is. As you dispense it, it'll be the most dead in the hand soap, or it'll be uh, the most moisturizing, you know, something like that. Because that's kind of that seems to be what they do is they make shit up as they 
as they run. Is it? It'll be. It'll. It'll. It, they'll. You know what? It, you know what it is. And I'm just gonna call this out right now. The soap ability factor is gonna the be soap ability. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most. It's the most soapable soap you could ever soap with. You know, yeah. shootable shootability soapability. So, um, Michael, let me ask you this, man. We haven't discussed this, but I'm curious. Um, what's your opinion on uh, ozone generators in the deer stand, like Ozonix and Oz and things like that? I, I really don't have an opinion on it. I haven't tried one. Uh, Levi has one, and I was supposed to get it before hunt season started, and I didn't. Uh, to me, I've I've read on them and I've watched the show for Ozonics and I guess it makes sense, but I'm not a scientist. I, I, I guess they can market that where it makes sense to me, but I really don't have an opinion on it. Just it makes me a little bit nervous uh, because I haven't used it, but you never know till you try. Yeah, Locke, what do you think about them? I don't think we talked about this before. Well, so I think that there's a lot of validity in the science behind it where it breaks down for me, or I I say breaks down, but I I don't mean it that way because I'm not against it. Um, and I'm not a detractor of it, but the questions that I have for it, and I don't have one, I don't use one, um, are, I don't doubt that the ozone molecules are effective in scent control, scent elimination, whatever you want to call it. But I just, I can't figure in my head how the open environment, how that works, how a small machine producing whatever amount of ozone is, how much is it really working if it's hanging in a tree in the open air? That's mm-hmm. where I, so I guess, you know, the, the, the full answer is I believe that ozone works. I've seen it work myself. I mean, I have the closet out in my office with my stuff and I can literally open the doors of the closet and run the machine and it, it it takes scent out of my, the entire office, you know, and, and, and then there's, um, you know, the, um, the scent crusher people, I don't know if y'all know this, um, little factoid on the podcast here, but the people that own scent crusher also do, um, ozone stuff for locker rooms. And I actually met the owner of scent crusher, at uh at the ata show several years ago and we were out um after the show one night and uh we were talking and and as i i might be wrong about this so i'm not going to say this is absolute fact but i want to say that he said he had a contract for every athletic program in the sec mm-hmm. for ozone in their locker rooms and their uh athletic facilities for for odor so if they're doing it for that you know i mean we can argue okay well that's great the ozone breaks the scent down for you, but a deer can smell way better than you. Well, it's doing something, you know, I mean, it, if, if we can tell a, a major difference in what it does, then it is working. So my opinion is it works in breaking down scent. Does it work when I'm sitting in a tree and the winds, you know, blowing up to 10, 15 miles an hour at times and it's in open air and it's a small machine. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I have used it on a hunt. Uh, I was videoing a friend of mine in Oklahoma and he had one and we had it in the tree with us. And, you know, I mean, we killed, uh, well, actually he filled both of his tags on that hunt. And one of them, the deer, it was, it was early season hunt. We were hot. We were sweating. He shot a pig 
early and I had to get down and drag the pig out. So I was really sweating, drag it out of our spot. And, um, deer came in completely downwind and just stood right behind us with the wind blowing right in his face. And I mean, five, six year old, you know, mature deer. And I, you know, say it was Ozonics. I don't know those deer up there. Um, it's a pretty good place. I'm not pressured. But yeah. I think deer smell no matter whether how much they're pressured. So, you know, it seemed to work pretty good on that hunt. But that's my only usable. That's the only experience I have using it. There was a there was a post this week on Louisiana bowhunter community. Somebody asking opinions about it, and I, I'm always I'm always careful to believe when somebody is like massively adamant about something, whether they're for it or against it. This goes for broadheads, bow companies, Ozonics, <laughs> and <clears throat> it's really easy to naysay something, especially if you haven't used it and it seems like witchcraft to you. Um, and on the other hand, I- I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to get into like the, you know, here's why it works or here's why it doesn't work. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question is, um, as you see on the internet or a- as you remember hearing people talk about an Ozonics in the past, have you ever had anybody said this screwed me up good point you know like hey uh had the deer in range my 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 ozonics blew it for me you know and and so that's my personal stance on it is that am i gonna say you know 100 percent this works i'll never hunt without it again I think we're just too far into the the adamacy of of the hunting industry and how people try and push products by saying highly definitive statements like that. So I'm going to stay away from that one. But I'll tell you right now, I have never a single time. I, I home built one. I had a Nozonics. It was a H200. Um, ended up selling it because the one that I built myself out of a Pelican case and a lipo battery and and um. Uh, what was it? Ozonics transformer system inside of it. It worked just as well. So I was like, I'll just keep the one that I built. I have never a single time had that thing ruin a hunt for me, but I have had it to where deer have been downwind and either, either, either not noticed, kept walking or, um, were alerted, but weren't on high alert. Like, you know, head bobbing tail up about to bolt running out the door. So I, you know, I guess my, my stance on it is, is I look at them as temporary insurance policies rather than fix alls. Um, if that thing can give you an extra 10 seconds of a deer standing there perplexed as to whether or not he's in danger and you can kill him in that 10 seconds, well, I think it's paid for itself three times over, you know? Yeah. I've seen things online where people say that it didn't work. And to that, I say, you know, and and in response to to your comments, I don't from what I believe about it and I don't think there's anything about it that could mess you up. Now, you know, do you have it set up just right and a deer starts blowing at you downwind and you're like, this stupid thing don't work. I don't think it's the ozone they're blowing at. They're just blowing at you. It didn't, you know, it didn't kill your scent well enough or or whatever. But yeah, so I mean, I just, you know, in, in listening to you talk, I'm just... I would make the distinction, in my opinion, I don't think there's anything about ozone or ozone-generating machines that are going to mess you up. Mm-hmm. They may not work, you know, as far as your scent goes, but I don't think they're doing anything that, they're not gonna that hurt you, that's going to further and further um, put you at risk of being detected. Yeah. I- you know, we, 
we've definitely run the thought around in our mind about the ozonics type stuff. Um, but like you said earlier, it's just the comfortability of what we use now, what's working right now is what we went with. Uh, it would, if it does work, if it did work, if we did get one, try it, everything was good. You know, it would save us three or $400 a year that we do spend on scent products. Yeah. Um, you know, there after the initial cost of those on so. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I was curious about it. You know, y'all are y'all are real big into scent control. Uh, uh, people say that they're into scent control, but I don't know anybody else that goes through those measures that you just named out for us. Uh, as far as you know, the time frame of July, making sure you go scent free in the house and things like that. That's that's pretty impressive. Pretty dedicated. Thank you. We, uh, it's all, it's mostly Rachel because she has to take care of all the stuff here at the house. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here you go. All right, guys, it is the Louisiana Bowhunter Shop of the Week brought to you by Tacticam. This week we're talking to Sammy Romano out of Shag's Archery in Metairie, Louisiana. Sammy, thanks for joining us today, man. Thanks for having me, Kyla. Yeah, no problem. So tell us about Shag's and Metairie. How long have y'all been open and what do y'all carry? Uh, at Shags, we're a full-line fishing and archery dealer. We focus a lot on archery. We've been in business since 1987, and we've been doing archery since 1991. Um, we're a full-line archery dealer. We do service sales. We carry bows by Matthews, Mission, Hoyt, Elite, Bear, Bowtech. So we've got pretty much all the major brands. And um, we have a 20-yard indoor range. You can come in, sight your bow in. We'll help you do that. We paper tune. We do walk-back tunes with customers if need be. Just anything you can imagine about archery and bow hunting, we do. That sounds great. Now, how long have you worked there? Uh, I've been there since 1990. Wow, 1990. They're almost 30 years. Yeah, that's scary. It means I'm getting old. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you joining us today and telling us about Shags. Anything else you want to add before we jump off? Uh, no, that that's really all. You know, it's we're off to a great season already. Been some big deer taken down despite the hot weather. And um, hopefully everybody has a successful and a safe hunting season. And uh, if we can help you with anything with your archery needs at Shags, come check us out. We're located right next to Hooters Restaurant on Veterans in Metter. I appreciate you, Sammy. Look, you have a good day. You too, buddy. All right, see ya. All right, guys, we're adding a new dynamic to the podcast uh, moving forward. We're going to be giving weekly updates on the standings in the Louisiana Bow League. If you haven't heard or you haven't listened to us talk about it in the past, the Louisiana Bow League is just a for-fun league of teams of three scattered all over the state shooting archery equipment, crossbows and bows on public and private land, that adds a kind of a fun dynamic to our season. So the way the scoring works is you get a certain amount of points for, you know, coyote or bobcat or a hog or a doe. And then for the buck score, the score of your deer is added on as one point per inch that you add. So um, if you've got three people on a team and everybody shoots a 120, then you've got 360 points plus the number of hogs you kill and those points plus the does you kill and those points. So, you know, this can kind of escalate quickly as people start killing bucks, and especially, you know, 90 100, 120, 150 inch bucks, you know, you can see the score growing rapidly. So uh, I'm not going to go over all the teams in it, but there are about 30 teams in the league. 
I will say if you aren't in it now, um, you've missed the the cutoff for this year. There's a Facebook group called the Louisiana Bow League in which you can track everything and kind of keep up with uh, what's being killed in the state on these teams. Really cool thing. But um, So the first score update, I'm going to give you a top 10 here, is the trained killers are in the lead right now with 132 and 5 eighths points. In second place are the heart stoppers with 40 points. Number three is Stay Stealthy with 25 points. Number four, Rageaholics, 25 points. Fifth place, Bad Company, 20 points. Sixth place, Flat Creek Hunters, 20 points. Seventh place, Dropping Strings, 20 points. Eighth place, Stacking Racks, 10 points. Ninth place, The A-Team with, with 10 points. And in 10th place are the Bayou Boys with 5 points. Any other team out there has not scored yet. No hogs, no deer, no bucks, no nothing. So it's still early. That's the first week standing in the Louisiana Bow League. We're going to do this weekly where we're talking about updates, who's jumped spots, who's on the board. So as you can tell, this is probably going to escalate quickly, and I think we're going to have some really high scores halfway through or towards the end of the season. It's going to be a fun dynamic for us. So that's this week's Louisiana Bow League update. Well, um, so let's talk a little bit about restraint and um, I guess you could say the patience to allow a buck to mature to a point where you want to take him or um, hold on, hold on. Locke and I were talking earlier today to, to get it done is his, uh, is his, is his new, yeah, new thing. New trigger. Well, well he said, <laughs> he said earlier on the season harvest and I asked him where he buys his, his deer seeds um, that he plants to harvest the deer. But to, anyway, when, <laughs> when you, uh, you know, when you've got a big deer on your property, what what do y'all do? Do y'all start inventorying him? Do you start hunting one deer in particular, or are y'all just climbing up in deer stands and and just stringing a bunch of luck together? Well, first of all, we we believe in uh, we watch our deer so closely from the. I really don't know how to to say this, but as soon as we know a deer at two and a half three and a half years old we really start watching we know that we're not going to shoot those deer unless they're you know completely screwed up uh broke legs or their quality of life isn't isn't what it should be uh so we try to watch those deer every in our opinion on our properties every deer has a different personality so and you can see that in photos on your trail camera. If, if you look close enough, you can see the different personalities on of uh, of each deer on your trail camera uh, as they're growing up. When you see them on a deer stand, just not being interested in shooting a younger deer or a smaller horn deer, whichever you prefer. We prefer just not shooting the younger deer. Uh, you get you get to see a lot of stuff. Uh, especially since we are strictly archers we uh we're not shooting at them uh 200 yards away whenever they walk out on a pipeline or anything like that we've got pipelines we've got high lines on our property we don't hunt them we get down in the woods the best we can tight with them uh, clean us out of hole uh in the thickets and and try to get in there with them and uh but we we try to 
learn each personality for each different deer as they grow up when they when they reach four and a half uh, if they're a certain size that we feel like we'll put on the wall then uh if rachel wants to shoot it she can shoot it i i myself will not shoot a deer under four and a half i did a couple years ago by accident uh, i shot ended up shooting a real nice three and a half year old but aside from that uh i prefer to shoot them at five and a half and older and and it's a it's a it's a tough goal around here in our neck of the woods. Uh, all the woods are so thick. There's a lot of hunters around you. If you let that deer go at four and a half, five and a half years old, uh, or even three and a half, is, is the neighbor going to shoot him? Yeah. You know, is, is he going to reach his potential? And and we believe that uh, the few deer that we've had reach seven and a half, eight and a half years old, uh, we've seen our deer peak at seven and a half years old and i thought that was kind of odd and against what all i've read of them peaking at maybe five and a half or six and a half years old um but personal experience we've seen them peak at seven and a half years old we we only have one one or two deer that we know are nine and a half ten and a half years old right now and we haven't got pictures of of one of them yet um we're still kind of waiting on him to show up he hadn't showed up yet he generally shows up in november but uh that's crazy but back to your question we, we we try to watch the personalities and learn the personalities to be able to get on the deer by the time they're five and a half or, or older yeah this is going to sound super obvious but just to put it into perspective a 10 and a half year old deer was born in 2009 you know, yep. it's it's easy to say, oh, he's five and a half, yeah. or or you know, he's seven and a half. But when you when you go back to you know a birth year for that deer, that is two thousand nine, that that deer was born, and y'all been watching uh-huh. it for ten years, even to the actually, point. Actually, we we haven't been watching that deer for ten years. Uh, I I just want to point that out. He showed up, I think, in twenty fifteen. Uh, 2014 or 2015 and i gave him an age of no doubt at least five and a half years old uh and and he's been with us ever since that's you'll talk about it like it's a dog that that like showed up at the back porch <laughs> you know like it's like y'all have adopted this deer and he's a part of the family but you're gonna kill him one day if you get the chance you know if i get a chance yeah that's funny. But I mean, just that's, that's pretty neat to put into perspective that there's a deer, there's deer ro- roaming around right now that, um, that are that old. And, um, you oh, know, and by the way, his name is BB King. BB King. Why? <laughs> well, he showed up one year and he had broke his main beam all past his, uh, G2. And he was basically the man of the woods uh, around in that one area that I was trying to hunt him. Uh-huh. So I named him BB King. That's funny. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Locke, you got to step your uh, name game up. Man. No, my name game's yeah. way lacking. You know what Locke would have named that deer? <laughs> Broken left brow tie and past G2 yeah. deer. Is what he... the bro- he'd have been like, yeah, he'd have been the broke bean buff. Yeah. You... And he'd have stayed the broke bean buff. He, 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 the broke beam buck even after he <laughs> regrew his horns the next year yeah, if you had to write that down you'd run out of ink 
before you finish writing it. <laughs> so, yeah, we got to work gonna on that. It's going to be my goal this year. Better deer names. Yeah. Yep. So, um, well, look, Rachel blew it out of the water opening day. Um, and then you killed a really nice buck, what, two days ago? Yes, sir. No, tell, tell us about that one. Okay. Uh, uh, last year, this deer showed up, and we got together, decided that he was six and a half years old. Uh, probably about four days before hunting season opened, this deer left, and we never saw him all hunting season. And my heart was broken. Uh, I thought he was mature, and I, I wanted to shoot him. He wasn't very big. He wouldn't have been on our wall. But he was nice and 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 six and a half. So, anyways, we uh, it, season was close. He disappeared. Went to, all through season, never got another picture of him. Went uh, back out this July, June or July. Filled up the feeder, put a camera out. He was one of the first deer there, and he didn't have big horns, you know. We couldn't verify that was him from horns, but his body was huge, and we thought it was him. As he grew, turns out, sure enough, it was the same deer, so we figured he was seven and a half years old. Um, and he was he was substantially larger this year. And um, we came home, started digging through pictures, trying to find pictures from the past of, of a deer that he could be. And we ended up finding one picture of him, uh, well, I guess it was four years ago. And I gave him the age of three and a half at the time. And we never saw that deer again until last year. Well, leading up to this season, I I was expecting him to leave before deer season opened again and sweating it. Well, he was around. And... He just stuck around. Him and another book that left last year stuck around and was able to get in there, I think. I went in there Thursday after a front pass through and nothing. But we had, I saw one small eight point and a couple of those. And then I went back in there Friday and at, right after that front came through, not expecting him to move in the daylight. I was just... I was just going on a hope and a chance that he would give me some kind of daylight activity, a chance for a shot. And I went in there, and to my surprise, I had four or five eight points out here in front of me, and he walked out, and and the rest is kind of history. I I just I just settled down on right behind that shoulder. I shot, and uh, something that happened to me on Rachel's nine point. We're used to aiming low and the deer ducking the stream a bunch around here. These deer around us are pressured and are really, really hard. And we're used to them jumping the stream a bunch. We both aimed low on both of our deer and we hit them good, but we hit them lower than we expected to hit them. They didn't duck. That My deer didn't flinch until the area hit him. And we thought that was kind of unusual, but he ran... 40, 45 yards. I heard him crash. I text Rachel, uh, just shot high fence, and and then we went in there and got him loaded up. Nice. That's awesome, man. High fence. What's that about? Well, we I'm didn't all about name the names. this deer. <laughs> Go, do what now? 
So I'm all about the names. I need to know what where this comes from. We we actually didn't name this deer last year, and we didn't name him all summer. Uh, when Rachel's deer was posted the other day, uh, there was a few negative comments on there, and one of my buddies told me that he said, which was great advice. I loved it. He said, you ought to name that deer High Fence, just for all those people that think I'll kill those deer in High Fence or with spotlights or something like that, which we have a lot of critics. And I took that. I told him I knew exactly what deer I was going to name that. <laughs> so, I like so it. So we named him High Fence. Yeah. There was a... Uh... I've said this on the past, on, on podcasts in the past, and, <clears throat> you know, when you see people be negative about something, especially towards a deer, typically it's the a person's disbelief that you did something that they don't believe they could do themselves. That's um, right. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I've got to admit, man, um, with Louisiana Bowhunter, and, and like I've said in the past, Bow hunters in general, we don't really catch a lot of negativity. Um, you know, bow hunters very rarely bash each other. Um, right. And the only time that that really kind of infiltrates, you know, the Louisiana bow hunter ecosystem, if you will, is when things get shared a lot and it starts reaching people that our posts otherwise wouldn't on social media. Um, and it starts attracting people that either are negative or <clears throat> don't bow hunt at all or whatever. And, and, uh, and then you get a lot of jealous people. It's, it's really unfortunate, but, uh, it's part Idiot. of it. You know, I, I hate to see it, yeah. but you, uh, honestly, man, a, a very quick profile search on that person will generally tell you everything you need to know about them. Um, well, social and, media has opened that, that portal to that uh you you know whatever you want to call it that, that, that these people and i and i think it's i've experienced it myself in in different ways and i, and I think it has something to do with outside of the reach i mean yeah you know you're talking about you know, it reaches a segment of people that it, you might not otherwise without social media but i think social media in and of itself creates an environment of jealousy in that I, I don't think it's, it's a reach for me to say there's a lot of people that are they're ate up with wanting to post something they they want to kill the deer so yeah. that they can post it and the fact that they can't or they haven't or you know whatever breeds it's like you know I just kind of try to think of it like deer camp, you know, just the, the old deer camp. Everybody just wants to see a big buck. You know, everybody just wants to see a big buck. You're happy somebody kills a big buck, whether it's your neighbor or, or somebody in the camp with you or or whatever. But then you throw in social media and it's like, well, now, you know, you got guys out there that are ate up with a persona and oh, they yeah. can't they can't generate that persona if they don't have pictures to share. And you do. So when you share pictures it just puts that that jealous factor in, in hyperdrive, and if people don't like me saying that, I'm sorry. But I mean, you know, Kyler, you're I think right. You said it. In, I think Kyler said it in a very, um, I don't want to say politically correct because I know you weren't trying to be politically correct, but you said it in a, in a in a more detailed fashion. But basically, it can just be summed up with the word jealousy. Yeah. You know, um, it's something that somebody 
uh, wants to do that they think they can't do that you've just done. What all that means is they're jealous. That's yep. just what it is. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, y'all have been dealing with responses like that for a while. Um, you know, we whenever we share a big deer like what Rachel shot, um, I, I you know, I'll, I will say this because this is uh, I'm, I'm maybe I'm assuming here, but I wouldn't be. I don't think that I'm that far off. I think that when somebody that doesn't know the two of you, you and your wife, when they see someone like your wife, Rachel, holding a deer like that. I think that adds to the unbelievableness in their mind. Um, right. And, and I, you know, I don't mean that in a negative way. You know, I like, I think, I think Rachel's proven by now that she can lay down some monsters, some hammer deer, like the best of them. But I, you know, I will acknowledge that is not the norm, right? You know, the bow hunting world is predominantly men. Um, the hunting world is predominantly men. I love that women are involved in it now, but I think some of the comments that I've got that I've seen, um, not just on the deer she killed on opening day, but even last year as well, and maybe a few years prior to that, you have people that are discrediting her and maybe even you as well, saying just a simple qu- a simple comment like "high fence?" question mark, you know, and what that does is that. That comment implies, I don't think she could do this without it being a paid hunt where the deer's tied to a tree. And that's wrong. That's a really shitty thing to, to think, much less type out on your phone and hit, and hit submit, you know? Absolutely. I, people don't understand. Uh, my hat is off to people like, like you and others that hunt public land. It's a completely different ball game. Uh, as to what the style that we hunt, um, you know, there, it's a lot harder to kill the type of deer that we kill uh, on a on the, the time frame basis, the regular basis that we kill them on public land. And I know that. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, there. I don't mean to demean you or anybody else at public land hunts. It's. A, it can be a little bit less work involved in that than the way we do it, uh, simply because we are getting out there and checking trail cameras every two days, three days. Uh, we are, you know, I'm I'm out there building food plots, and you have a short window to do that. Um, you know, I'm out there trying to catch rain timing of the year not get it in a not plant it in a in a drought uh but i also work uh, a lot and i've got to make sure that i make my time count in the woods leading up to hunting season to get those food pots in the ground um and whatnot whatever i need to do to make it to get it ready for rachel to do what she needs to do i'm working you know i'm working getting off work going to the woods messing around doing whatever I can and before dark coming home, getting up, going to work. Then on the weekends, uh, you know, working all weekend to try to get food pots and I, and it, and it sounds like a lot for a food pot, but we're, we're planting nine acres, uh, total just on one lease on the South end of the parish where we've killed these deer. Yeah. So 
you know, it's it's a uh, I guess what I was trying to say, you know, it's just a lot of people that don't understand what how how hard we work at it. Yeah, absolutely. Lock- I spent eight hours on a tractor today. I spent six hours on a tractor Saturday morning before my kids' yep. football game, and then I spent and then I had to spend the rest of the day doing that, and then I spent eight hours on a tractor today and i still got 400 acres with nine food plots on it that i've still got to go harrow disc plant i mean look you i i understand what you're saying and it's uh yeah <laughs> yeah it i've never heard anybody actually say that because i think well, when you said the 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 um it the easier part uh, about public land hunting because i think that in our minds we just all we really relate to is the hunt itself yep. you know yep, yep, yep. um and so i and ov- obviously if i take you hunting on a piece of private property where the deer are less pressured and everything's set up and all you got to do is walk in and get in the stand and i've already got a tether hanging there for you and and everything you know that you know right. the hunt is easier but everything that goes into it i mean it's about to kill me man it's like October 6th and I can't go hunting because I'm so far behind on property management. So it's, uh, yeah, that you reap what you sow for sure. Yeah. You, you reap what you sow. Y'all are, y'all are front loading the majority of your labor and work to, to, to be able to enjoy the deer season. Right. Y'all are, right. y'all are kind of setting up an environment that hopefully leads to success, but also isn't backbreaking every hunt. Whereas, you know, I, 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 like Locke said, I've never heard that said before. I've never even thought about it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. And you're not offending me at all by saying that, because let me tell you what, man, my WMAs and NWRs that I hunt, I know where they are. I know how to drive there. I know, I know where the oak trees are. I've got them marked. I know where the crossings are. I've got them marked. But every time I go in there and hunt, I have to hang a stand every single time, you know, and, and that's, that's you know, walking quarter mile, half a mile, you know, I'll just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say the cliche. Oh, I walked two and a half miles. You know, a few people actually walk that far. Like <laughs> this, like the three percenters of bow hunters, but every, and everybody yeah. can't be a three percenter. Okay. That's not how 3% works. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I, you know, I don't do anything to public land prior to opening day. I don't walk around and scout. I don't, I, I just don't do it this year. Like I've talked about, I don't have time to do it. I don't, I mean, shoot, I, I barely had time to, <laughs> to come home and record this podcast tonight. I'm going back to work. It's, it's almost nine o'clock. I'm going back to work after this, but I don't know if I could change my annual schedule of like how I approach the outdoors that I'm talking about fishing and hunting and um, teal duck season and, and bow season. I don't know if, if I got a lease, if I could, do all of that front loaded stuff like y'all are right now. That's an excellent point. You know, I've, I've thought about that Kyler and, and honestly, so there have been times, uh, not necessarily the day, but there've been times when I've riding home from the camp or from a lease, or even if I'm on my lease right here at the house and I'm like, you know what? I'm really sick of all this. Like I'm, I'm tired of all this. Like I'm tired of this work. It's killing me. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't know any other way because that's what my dad did, you know. And since I was old enough to, to go, which was 
before I was old enough to actually hunt by myself. September and um, I'm I'm further behind. I'm typically trying to be done by the time the season opens. But you know, September from Labor Day until middle of October, this is what we did. This is all I know. Yeah. And it's becoming more difficult with kids, you know, because I have you know schedules with with uh, with the kids have things going on, and and I'm you know I'm I'm, but I I I spend a lot of time thinking about just what you're saying, and and um, I've been frustrated at times and said I'm just not doing this much. Um, but it's all I ever know. It's all we've ever done. And, and, you know, I would be interested, Michael, to know from your perspective, because just everything that we've talked about and then kind of playing into this, how, how much could you dial back what you do on a land from a land management perspective? How much of it do you think you could dial back and still have the success? And I don't mean just on harvest i did that just for you i don't mean just on harvest but i i mean on just the amount of deer that you're able to keep tabs on um and and all that kind of thing so i'm talking about everything that i know you do access not just food plots i know you got a lot of other tractor work everybody does with access and keeping things up so how much of it plays into you know this ability that you guys have to keep up with these deer and really keep up with your herd management and your age structure uh, I, I really don't know how to answer that. Um, I'm kind of like you. I just, it, it is what I do and I just do it cause I know how to do it. And I know that it needs to be done for our success. And I can tell you on the other end of that, that there's no limit, but a financial limit on how far I'll go to make sure that Rachel and I can um, can be successful like this, and success to me is in our own minds, uh, not really worried about what everybody else thinks about uh, what success is for them. But success in my own mind, I ha- I have no limits as far as, far as what I uh, would do to keep that going. I, I really don't know answer to how to answer how far i could dial it back to be honest with you i I find myself in this strange um cycle i'm in it right now actually just i mean speaking of today and what i did today find myself forever chasing this rabbit of i'm always telling myself i'm gonna get all this done so that I can, I have this, this, this fantasy type theory in my mind that I'm going to sit back. I'm going to do it all so that I can, this imaginary amount of time somewhere down the road, I'm going to be able to sit back and, and just hunt and just enjoy it. And, and I do to an extent, don't get me wrong, but I I don't know if you, if you would agree, but it never stops. It really never stops is what I'm getting to. I'm always thinking, well, I mean, just, I'm just going to spend this weekend. I'm not going to hunt this weekend. I'm just going to get all this done because you know, next weekend or the next weekend or whenever, whatever that date is, that, you know, hypothetical date is, it's all going to be done. I'm just going to be able to show up and hang around the camp and put on my stuff and go hunt and just reap the, the, uh, the rewards and, and, and all that. But it never stops. It never stops to, to the point we're talking about there, Kyler, with how much work it is as opposed to public, private, all that. It never stops because there are very few weekends 
that I go to the camp that I don't have something to do, whether I've decided I'm now I got to move a stand or a tree falls in the road or, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's on and on and on and on and on. There's just very rarely ever that I go and just kick back, watch TV, eat, go make a hunt, come back, don't have anything to do. There's always something to do. Yeah. You know? You're right. You're right. Exactly right. Yeah, that you know that's that's part of the process though. You know, I can see how it can be burned out, like especially when it's hot. Oh yeah, when it's hot and it doesn't Absolutely. feel like hunting season, and so it just feels like a chore. Like it's not really no different yep. than cutting the grass at the house. You know, only it takes six hours and it's more. Um, but uh, you know, Michael, man, he really made a good point. I had never looked at private land versus public land like that because I think before he said that. I had always categorized it separately as public land's hard, private land's easy, you know? Um, yep. And and then you followed it up even better by saying, if we only focus on individual hunts, then you could conclude that. My hunt today that I made on public land was harder than your hunt today that you made on private land. And, right. um, I mean, there's no arguing with that. But... That's a total dismiss that totally dismisses the fact that you've front loaded all of your work and I carry all of mine work on my back with me every time mm-hmm. I go into the woods. Yep. Um, and I think that's a great point, man. I, I think, uh, I think that's probably honestly, probably one of the best conclusions or messages that we've said on the entire series of the podcast is, is clarifying that. Um, because, you know, sometimes this is episode 33. Sometimes I wonder like, what the hell are we going to talk about? <laughs> you know, like what, how, like what, what, like, surely, surely there can't be that much more that we could discuss, you know, about bow hunting, but God, it gets so granular, you know, it gets down to the most minute details. And when you zoom back out of that, you realize like, that's, that's the thing that makes bow hunting different from all other forms of hunting it's like i've said before it's the consideration other forms of hunting do not have nearly the amount of consideration whether it be the that day that you're hunting or three months before you're hunting or like you're talking about scent control stopping you know putting fragrant thing fragrant aromatics taking them out of your house in july i mean nothing against gun hunters, but name me a gun hunter that's ever had those words come out of his mouth, you know? Right. And, um, and so I, you know, the conversations like this is what constantly motivates me for, you know, what are we, what are we going to talk about next? What's next week's topic? What are we going to do? Because like last season I had, I want to say I almost had 10 episodes pre-recorded before I released one. And you could do it on lotion and moisturizer. Yeah. Lotion, moisturizer. Yeah, we got deep. We'll deep dive. We'll deep dive into that. Deep, yeah, <laughs> deep, deep uh, moisturizing content, and then and we, um, the other yeah. one is name and deer. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, podcast creates more podcasts. You know. Yep. Um, but I think that's a great point, man. Is what I'm trying to say, and and I really value the fact that you brought that up. Um, and I did not take offense to it. I know you were trying not to be offensive, but. It's absolutely it's valid. You know, it's it's un unarguable. You know, but there's there's just challenges both ways, one way or not, one way or another. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, I will say, I will say, you know, as a, maybe as a response to that, um, contrast to what y'all are doing, I, I, I do feel, um, like I can get away without having to do all that front loaded work. Yet, I think the big difference is I would, I would, if we took stats on deer sightings and and how many deer we kill in a season, if y'all killed, if y'all, if y'all counted opportunities to kill versus my opportunities to kill, y'all might be quadruple me, you know, quadruple what I'm at, um, on your public, on your private lease with your, um, with your, um, kind of prepared environment and food plots and feeding and, right. and, and all that stuff. So, um, I mean, it pays off, it pays off maybe tenfold, right. but, uh, but at the same time, I don't go to bed, um, at, on a Friday night knowing I have to wake up at four thirty the next day on a Saturday during bow season to go and drive a tractor for six hours, you know, it's not uh, fun. No, I mean that doesn't sound like fun. Of well, course, it is fun. Of course, well, you're late, you know. Also, I think you're just upset about it because you're so behind. Yeah, well, it's it's every year, but well, but you remember, we talked about this numerous times. This got brought up last year in the podcast. Um, one specific conversation, and I don't remember which one, but which podcast it was on. But um, we talked about the process. Yeah, you know, just. And, and that, you know, there is a process to the, the public land game. There's the process of, 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 of scouting public land and the hang and hunt method and all that. I mean, and then, you know, but what we're talking about here, I, I mean, as frustrating as the, the, the labor part of it is, and, and I just talked about how there's always something to do. A lot of the times those things aren't as, as tedious they are part of the process and I enjoy them. I actually enjoy moving stands around because it's, it's, it's an excitement when I go make a morning hunt and I realize I really need to hang a set right over there, or I need to move this set. I'm sitting and I need to get down right now when I know the deer aren't moving. I, you know, I can, I can hear the woods. I got the right wind. I need to move this a hundred yards. It's an excitement because when I'm done, I'm just anticipating going back to that spot yeah you know or i'm i find a new spot and i set that spot up for all those kind of it's that's kind of the thing about bow hunting and you talked about i know that there's a lot of gun hunters that um are serious about what they do and they do a lot of prep work and all that kind of stuff but just generally speaking i'm I'm trying not to paint with broad brush here but the process for 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 that is not the same and so many of us when it comes to bow hunting whether it's your routine and your process for finding those spots on public land and hanging hunt and all that mobile or whether it's Mike, like Michael and I who spend tons of time managing property, there's a process to it that is goes far above and beyond the moment when you actually harvest the yeah, deer. Absolutely. You know, and, and if it weren't for that, I've said it a million times before. I, I, I can't say this definitively, but I think that if it weren't, I probably would. I'm not gonna say I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't be the way I am about it. I wouldn't be passionate about it. If it was just a matter of just, you know, killing a deer, you know, I'd get excited to kill a big deer, get excited to kill whatever deer I'm after. But the whole thing, the whole anticipation, and all the lead up to it, whether it's shooting your bow or prepping your gear or working on your land or scouting a piece of public or whatever it is that you're doing, the process it's 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 a lifestyle. 
yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And that's, that's what so exactly many of right. us are. Well, um, let's let's start to wrap it up here. I've got some I've got some questions, uh, some kind of final questions for you, Michael. What what gear uh, is Rachel hunting with, and what gear are you hunting with? Rachel is hunting with a uh, her bow is a Matthew Z seven. We uh, when she started hunting with me, she's hunted with her dad for years. But when she started with me, she uh, I got some pictures of a few eight points, and she wanted to take a gun and go shoot those eight points. Well, she killed all three eight points in two weeks with the gun, and so she started talking about archery, and we got her a Matthew C7. Um, This was, I think, 11 years ago. It's set on 43 to 44 pounds, uh, not a very stiff draw. She's shooting a a bloodline, a Eastern bloodline era, but we have her some gold tip 500s coming, and she's been shooting the Rage 100 100 grain uh, Rage hypodermics, and mm-hmm. they have really been working well for. Her. That's she's awesome. She's cutting a huge hole. Uh, me, I'm shooting a, a Hoyt at 72, 73 pounds, shooting gold tip areas, and I recently bought some rage hypodermic no collars that they just came out with and that's what i killed that deer friday with and it did it did one hell of a job nice very nice well um you know one of the most common comments on rachel's deer was you know what kind of broadhead it is she was shooting right so did she shoot that deer on its left side and it ex- and, and it exited out the right uh, no, she shot it on the right side, and she has got some exit holes on some of the bigger body deer that she's killed, but we don't always get exit holes. So um, we ended up swapping from a slick trick four-blade standard, mm-hmm. uh, which was extremely accurate for her and was doing a good job. We just wasn't finding any blood, uh, or not a lot of blood. We were basically just looking for a deer, and she never lost a deer with them. Thank goodness. Um, and then she swapped to the Rage hypodermics. Uh, a couple of buddies of ours used the Rages and were swearing by them, so we figured we'd give them a try. And that's what she's been with ever since the swap from the first bar did. So. That's awesome. Yeah, because so I, I was just curious that picture. I mean, <laughs> it opened that deer up. I remember. I remember my favorite comment was. Um, you know, what did you shoot it with a cannonball? I mean, you could almost put your fist in it. You know, yeah. it was it was a, so. I was just curious if that was the entrance or the exit because that was one of the more impressive entrance wounds I've ever seen. Um, that, that's pretty yes. neat. Very cool. Well, um, look, I I think we've had some great conversation. We learned a lot about Michael and Rachel and how they hunt their property, their kind of uh, their 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 system. Locke, do you have any other questions for him? Uh, no, I, I enjoyed the conversation, followed you guys on Facebook for a while now and, uh, uh, enjoyed hearing how, how you guys are hunting and what you guys are doing. I don't, I, I, I think it's a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Michael, you got any questions for us, man? No, sir. No, sir. Thank you for having me. And I, I love the podcast and uh, appreciate you having me here. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining. Well, um, look, I, y'all are already off to a great season. I hope it continues going with that same momentum for y'all and, uh, uh, good luck thank you for good luck to y'all also all right buddy thanks 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week. Thank you.